Okay, continuing on the chronological life of Jesus, we are reading from, uh, picking up in Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. Matthew chapter 9, well, actually from verse 35. Matthew 9, 35. So remember what we're doing is we're following the chronological life of Jesus. Luke is our outline, but in many cases Luke just mentions something and then, we, then you have to really go back to one of the other Gospels to have the details filled in because there's overlap between the Gospels and there's also complementarity uh, uh, where some will fill in where, where, where something else has been left off by another Gospel. And Luke only has sporadic mentions of this particular portion, so we're going to follow it in Matthew because there's more detail here. So in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, Jesus was going through all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. So this is the third tour of the Galilee. Jesus' ministry is now different because it's, it's after the unpardonable sin. He's still going around and healing, but there had to be faith, and it was faith-based, and it was a personal need, and there had to be faith in the life of the person. But now he was teaching, it says, not about the Messianic kingdom, he was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and this is actually the gospel of the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God. Uh, the Two Gospels called it the Kingdom of God. Matthew calls it the Kingdom of Heaven because he's speaking to the Jew. And so he's filling in that sort of detail. Uh, and so remember the parables that Jesus had spoken about? He said the Kingdom of Heaven is like such and such. The Kingdom of Heaven is this way. And, and uh, now he's speaking to other groups of people about what this Kingdom of Heaven is like. And he's healing all kinds of diseases and all kinds of sicknesses. So there is faith being manifest. Remember last time we read that in Nazareth, his own hometown, he couldn't do much because there was no faith. Now in verse 36, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of harvest to send out workers into the harvest. So Jesus looks upon the people and many of the people had not yet decided as a leadership they, they said that Jesus was filled with demons and that's the only way he could cast out demons. And because of that, Jesus had proclaimed upon them the unpardonable sin he, he, uh, and the prophecy concerning the destruction of Jerusalem. But here he is up in the Galilee and there's many individuals that have not decided. In other words, they've not decided to follow the Pharisees. They've not decided to follow Jesus yet. They are sheep without a shepherd and they were distressed. And Jesus heart went out to them. They had not yet decided against following him. And he looked at them, he says, they were distressed and dispirited because they were sheep without a shepherd. If you are always distressed and dispirited, this, this sense of being dispirited, this sense of like, just never, you know, something never gets going in me. Remember what I'm telling you. If you will take the scriptures and meditate upon it and come under the leadership in the body of Christ, you will be greatly blessed and the Lord will begin to use you. You start being used in the body of Christ and it will pick you up. You start being used in the body of Christ. Uh, I see this with many men. They step out from underneath authority in the body of Christ and their wives start having trouble with them and they have trouble with their wives and their kids start rebelling. You get back under the leadership of the body of Christ. You get back under the leadership where people can speak into your life. 
and you start serving in the body of Christ, and then there is opportunity to give something. As you give, you will be blessed. As you give out, you will be blessed. And this feeling of always being dispirited will start to recover because you will be like one who is shepherded, one who has a shepherd. You start coming under the authority of Jesus the shepherd, and that is manifest through the body of Christ. And you may say, well, you know, I can watch on TV. Yes, you can. And you can get, you can get encouraged by TV. But it's very hard to have that relationship in the body of Christ. I see my pastor here. I see him here on Sundays. This is where I relate to him. And I get here early and he and I will always go aside for five minutes and talk. I want to have this relationship with the pastors of this church. I need that. This is something that I need. If I can be an encouragement to them, that's great. But I need to have that relationship. And that keeps me from being dispirited. To have that encouraging word with others. Jesus saw this. But then he he turns to his disciples and he says, he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So here Jesus is doing all the ministering. And then he says to, to them, he says, there is so much work to be done, but there's not enough laborers. And so he says to his disciples in verse 38, Beseech the Lord of harvest to send out workers into the harvest. So he tells them to pray. Pray ye therefore that the Lord sends out laborers into the harvest. Now I ask you, why would Jesus ask them to pray? Why would he instruct them to pray? If it were not so that Jesus really believed that prayer does something. You know, if prayer is just a bunch of nonsense that Christians with weak minds and weak hearts have to do for something within themselves, why would Jesus say, pray, therefore, that the Lord of harvest sends laborers into the harvest? If it's just for their own little minds, if prayer does nothing, why would Jesus ask them to pray? Well, obviously, Jesus really believes that prayer does something. Jesus really believes that if you pray, something will change. If you don't believe it, just remember, Jesus really believes that prayer does something. And guess what? He probably knows about how heaven works better than we do. He really believes that prayer works. Just remember this. I have had believers, people who have been believers and working in the church and and I said, let's pray. And they're like, oh, come on, does that really do anything? I'm like, oh. Jesus really believed that it did something. Or else he wouldn't have wasted his disciples' time. He said, pray therefore. You learn to pray. If I pray for this class, I say, Lord, pour out the Holy Spirit in the class. Lord, open up the scriptures to me as I study this day to prepare me for the class on Sunday. And then as I'm teaching, Lord, fill me. And Lord, touch them by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is not just a bunch of nonsense where I'm wasting my time or you know, stirring myself up with self-encouragement, self-motivation. Not at all. The Scriptures say you do that. God of heaven and earth intercedes and does this sort of thing. Father, give me earnestness while I'm speaking. You pray and God will so fill you. Father, Abba Father, give me grace in my work to see where other people don't see. This is a tremendous thing in my field. I have this advantage in my field. 
in my career that none of my colleagues have. I have Jesus, the God of heaven and earth, giving me insight. It's not even fair. You know, I have this tremendous advantage because I have the God of heaven and earth giving me creativity. I say, Father, give me creativity. Where others don't have it, Father, give it to me. Father, take my students and so bless them in their work that we would shake the chemical community through what we do. And go figure, God answers. There is no explanation for why we have accomplished what we've accomplished. If it were not for the truth that God answers prayer. God answers prayer. And if you don't believe these things, let me know. Because then I have another prayer. My prayer is, Father, the things that they could have had, but had no faith for, give them to me. I will take them. Let not that prayer be wasted. Let not what you would have blessed them with be wasted. I will gladly take it, my Father. If you will take in your career, what are you? What do you want to be? You pray, Lord, make me the best physician. Lord, make me the best neurosurgeon. Father, make me the the best cardiologist, the best pediatrician. Father, fill me that I would learn to relate to patients. Father, give me wisdom as I'm doing this. Give me hands. As I write a proposal, I say, Father, give me the hands of a scribe. Give me the mind of a ready writer. Father, bless my work. I take proposals and I take them when I'm done. I I take a copy over to the chapel on campus and I fall on my knees and I put it there and I say, Father, bless this, I pray. Father, bless this. Bless this proposal, I pray. And lead us into the right work. Because I really believe it does something. Jesus really believes that prayer does something. Take the papers that you are writing and commit before you start writing. Father, I give this to you. Commit it to the Lord. As you're writing, be praying, Father, help me. When you're done, pray over it. Say, Father, I pray that it has an impact on those who read this. God will answer. This is what He does. Jesus refers them to pray because He really believes it works. Why does He have to have them pray? I mean, can't the Son of God just pray? I mean, isn't that going to be infinitely more than a bunch of 12 men praying? Apparently not. Apparently Jesus says to those twelve, start praying, because I need some help here. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers, one, me, it's few. It's too much for me. I can't hit up every town that I need to. You guys are going to have to start praying. He really believed that the prayers of those men would start moving heaven and earth to start having those towns touched. And wouldn't you know it, that if you start praying, it may be that God would fulfill and bring the answer to those prayers through you. Chapter 10 of Matthew, verse 1. Jesus summoned His twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits, to cast them out, and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. The first Simon, who is called Peter, 
and Andrew his brother, and James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, and Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. And we're not going to talk anything about the disciples because we've already covered them in detail. Verse 5. The, these twelve Jesus sent out after instructing them, do not go in the way of the Gentiles, do not enter the city of the Samaritans, but rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, freely you receive, freely give. So Jesus, in, verse, in chapter 10, verse 1, he summoned the twelve, and he gave them authority, chapter 10, verse 1, over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. It doesn't qualify. Every kind. Cancer, you can heal it. Every kind of disease, every kind of sickness. He says he gave them authority over unclean spirits. These men, he told them to start praying that God sends out laborers into the harvest. And guess what happened? God took them said, okay, I'll do it, through them. And he empowered them with the power of his Son. Wow! You talk about answers to prayer? I prayed that God would do something, and God does it through me. And he bestows upon those twelve the power of his Son. Regular people don't have this kind of power to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. You say, oh, you know, Christians can pray and they can hear. It happens all the time. That's true. But how many Christians do you know that every person they prayed for, they were healed? How many? None. Zero. This, on this occasion, on this occasion, He gave them authority to heal every kind of sickness. Cast out every demon. You know, this, this, this same particular verse in, in Mark in Mark chapter 6, verse 7, I'll just read this one verse. It says, And he called to himself the twelve, and he began to send them forth two by two, and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. So he was sending them out now two, at a, two by two. In pairs, he sent them out. So you got twelve people, so you got six different groups going out now. So Jesus was the lone guy doing this. Now he's got six other groups dispersing out. In Luke chapter, chapter uh, 9, Verse 1, it says, And he called together the twelve, and he gave them power and authority over all unclean spirits. All of them. Every one of them. And to cure diseases. And he sent them forth to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So Jesus really gives them their, this anointing. They are going out in his name. They are ambassadors. You have the, the, this emissary go out ahead. This is as if Jesus himself were going out. And this is why, at the end of this little section, it, it, uh, um, the judgment upon these towns, if they do not accept, Jesus, in, verse, in, in, uh, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 15, it says, Truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment for, than for that city. If that city did not accept these two men that happened to go there to minister, it would be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the Day of Judgment than for that town, if they don't accept them. Why? Because it was as if Christ himself were going. They came with such overwhelming power, overwhelming demonstration. In this, we again see that there are differences in judgment. 
Not everybody is going to undergo the same judgment. This is for the unbeliever. Not all unbelievers will undergo the same judgment. Wicked people will undergo a much stricter judgment. This is what we see. There are differences in this. If this bothers your theology, your theology is wrong, so change it. There are differences in judgment. We see it here. And Jesus said it's going to be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Why would he say that? Just as when he went to towns and they denied him, they say, he said the same of those towns. He said it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah than for you. Because they had such an overwhelming demonstration of power, like we've never seen with our eyes, of two men coming in and healing absolutely every sickness. I mean, you think you have a healing ministry? Go to MD Anderson. Go to the hospital. And just go from room to room and start having people rise up. You will have a church, a huge church, in one day, if you do this. I believe in healing, but the manifestation of healing today, we have never seen it like this, like in that case. That was really a special time. Every sickness, they could go and they could pray for. He had so anointed them. Every sickness, they could pray for And look what he says to them in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 10. These twelve he sent out after instructing them, Do not go in the way of the Gentiles. Do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And so for those of you that think that everything that Jesus said in the Gospels is for us today, then we should have no ministry to anybody except the Jew. That's what he says. He says, don't go to the Gentiles. Don't go to the Samaritans. Only go to the Jews. Oh, okay. Well, that's... that's. Well, what we see is that not everything that Jesus said in the Gospels is applicable to us today. Here is a prime example. He sent them. He said, I want you to focus in only on these Jewish towns. Only on these Jewish towns. You say, why, that's not fair. Jesus can do whatever he wants. He was focusing in on these towns. You know, Shireen and I had a ministry to, to uh, international students uh, when we first got married. And one guy came to us. He says, why? And, and it wasn't just one guy. Several people had said, why, why do you focus in on internationals? You know, Americans need God too. No, we had a focus on international students. Today we have a focus on college students. Right? We have this focus. Now, are other people tangentially blessed? And the answer is yes. But our focus is toward college students. He said, look, I've only got, I've only got uh, the six groups. The six groups of two. We can't do the whole world. We're just going to focus on these towns of the Jewish towns in the Galilee. This is all we can do right now. So to focus your efforts is not unscriptural. And he told them, we're going to focus in on the Jews. But later on in this chapter, we see specifically there is a witness to the Gentiles in this. But remember, this very word that he says to them, he's going to change later. In the Great Commission, he says, I want you to take this to Jerusalem, to Samaria, and to the othermost parts of the earth. So later on, he changes this. So you see that in that specific time, he told his disciples, Just focus in on the Jews. Later on, he says, now go out for the rest of the world. There was a transition occurring in ministry. So you can't have somebody just take one verse out of the Bible of what Jesus said and say, see that? You've got to do this. Well, what about all these other complementary verses that Jesus said that 
seem to go beyond that. And he, t- he tells them, <clears throat> he says in verse 6, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The lost sheep implies these ones that were like sheep without a shepherd. You are going to witness not to the believing Jews, not to the ones that believe that Jesus is the Messiah and they're all set, not to the ones that have taken hold of what the Pharisees have said, and only, but to the ones that are lost, the ones that are in this never-never world, a sheep without a shepherd. And he says, And as you go preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Remember the nine parables that Jesus gave right after the, the, uh, uh, the unpardonable sin? He started teaching them about the mystery kingdom. He said, here, here it is. This is the mystery kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is this, 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 this. And he said to the disciples, he says, do you understand these? After he had explained it to them. And they said, yes. And he knew it was important for them to understand because now it's their time to take the message of the kingdom, what the kingdom would be like. That is now their message. Take that kingdom. This is not the messianic kingdom. The messianic kingdom is not going to come in their generation. hasn't even come yet in our generation. We are living under the mystery kingdom. The one that Jesus had explained through the nine parables. This is what we are living under. That's the message they took. And then he said, heal the sick, raise the dead. I mean, they had power to raise the dead. Cleanse the lepers. Remember, the only one who had ever done this was the Messiah. Now, He's given that power to His disciples to cleanse the lepers. I mean, this is really going to have some impact. Cast out demons. So He even makes a distinction between the sick and the demon-possessed. So, for those that think that that all sickness is due to demon possession, it's wrong. I mean, some people are sick, some people are demon-possessed and sick. But some people are just sick. There's no demon to cast out. There's a sickness to deal with. And He says... Freely you've received, freely you give. Don't charge for this. Just, you know, don't expect to get any money for this. There's no charge for this. Then he says, do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts, or a bag for your journey, or even two coats or, or, or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worthy of his support. So, there are people who pick this up and say, this is how you ought to go on ministry. Bring nothing with you. Well, Jesus said, don't even bring a bag. Right? If you're going to walk in that, don't even bring a suitcase. Nothing. Go with zero money in your pocket and go out and minister. Don't even bring a bag. Just start going across the country. And there are some mission groups that actually, not that they do this all the time, they will take groups of young people like your age. And I've seen it. It's really exciting. And, and high school students, and they will drop them off in a city with nothing and tell them, go minister. And it's amazing to hear the stories of these young people come back. You know, people have invited them in their homes and they've spent the night and they've fed them and they're out ministering. This is a teaching tool. Later on, in the same Gospels, Jesus is going to give them something different. He says, now, take a bag for your journey, take a staff. And, 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 uh, so he instructs them differently. So you can't take hold of this and say, on every mission trip, you should never take anything. Don't even take a bag. No, remember, he changes it later on. So which one is it? Well, in different occasions, it may be something different. But to say somebody is doing wrong because they happen to take a suitcase with them as they're going out on the mission field, you know, it's kind of silly because it's okay. In the next portion, he tells them to take a bag. But this particular time, he's teaching them utter dependence upon himself. And he says, you're going to be taken care of. He says, the worker is worthy of his support. So what does that tell us? That when God's ministers come through, 
We are obliged to help them along. The worker is worthy of his support. Those who minister to us the gospel are worthy to be supported by us. There was a man who shared the gospel with me, shared the gospel with me when I was 18 years old in college, taught my first Bible study before I was even a believer. He is in the ministry. He is in the Navigators Campus ministry, not, not here in Houston in another city. I have not stopped supporting him to this day. I still support him. He shared the gospel with me. I still support him. These people who minister to us, we are obliged to do them good. The worker is worthy of his support. We are obliged if we work, you know, and we get our salary in another way. Now, when I minister, when I go out to a church, I never accept an offering. I just don't do it. Because I am not a full-time Christian worker. I mean, couldn't I, you know, I go into these big churches and they would get thousands of dollars in an offering for me to speak. I won't touch it. I say, if, if you take an offering for me, I will not come. Because I leave this for the people that make their living by the gospel. You know, I am supported by Rice University. Rice University gives me all that I need. I have made this as a personal choice. But to those who make their living by the gospel, to those who make their living preaching, and teaching the Word of God. They are worthy of our support. This is what the Scriptures say. And Jesus said, they will support you. So money doesn't fall from heaven. Money goes from our pockets into their pockets. That's how it works. Jesus said, this is the way it ought to work. Those who minister to us are to receive from us. And this is why I gladly give to the church. I gladly give to the body of Christ. The church has been there for me. My kids learned how to sing in the church. They learned how to how to act in the church. They learned how to, how, how, they had so much that the church has done for my family. When we have been in times of tragedy and we've needed people around us, the church was there for us. The pastoral community and the church, the body of Christ was there. I would feel as if I were robbing the church if I were to come here and not give something. I mean, they pay for the air conditioning. This room is air conditioned. Did you know that? Did you know somebody is paying for the room to be air conditioned? Did you know somebody bought the seats that you're sitting on? Somebody paid for these ceiling tiles? Somebody did this. Somebody paid for this communication system? I don't want to be a freeloader. I want to participate in this. You say, well, it's already paid for. Well, they have to remodel it at some point. It has to be paid for. They haven't paid for the the, the air conditioning yet. I give something. They're worthy of my support. And when I learn to give, I learn to be less selfish. And a person who is giving, it helps their marriage, it helps their life, they are better people. And this is why we are expected to give, to bless these people, to participate in this. If you calculate, okay, well, figure my one body and the amount of heat that I give off, okay, I'll give them 25 cents. Well, you know, they had to buy the air conditioning system. You give way beyond what it means just for you to fill your face. You know, the the church pays for the breakfast here. What is served here, the church pays for. You guys come in and partake. You think, well, the church does this. Well, who is the church? You are the body of Christ. You are the church. This is who pays for this. Freely. Freely. But you you don't see an offering plate here. Because it's to come another way. But we, we want to freely give. He says, the worker is worthy of his wages. 
Verse 11, And whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it, and stay at his house until you leave that city. As you enter the house, give it your greeting. If the house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace. But if it is not worthy, take back your blessing. Whoever does not receive you nor heed your words, as you, sh- as you go out of that house or that city, shake off the dust from your feet. For truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in that day, in, in the day of judgment, than for that city. So he says, when you go into a town, I don't want you going from house to house to house to house to house and staying there. You go in one house. You find out who is worthy. Those are the ones who believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Those are the worthy ones. You stay with them. When you go in their house, you greet that house and you bless that house. Bless that house. Say, Lord, may your blessing fall upon that house. I have had men of God come into my home and as soon as they walk in the door, they say, the peace of God be upon this home. And I know exactly what they're doing. They are taking this commandment and they are blessing my home. And I'm like, I receive it. Yes, say it again. I want it. Say it again. And Shireen will have these men of God always share a word. She'll have them sit down after dinner and she'll say, open up the scriptures and share something with us. She wants the blessing that comes. Because these are God's ambassadors come into our home. We want to bless them in our home. He says, you go and you stay in their home. And they will take care of you. The worker is worthy of his wages. You bless that home. If they really do prove to be worthy, let your blessing of peace stay there. And if they prove to be unworthy, in other words, if they're not gracious to you, let your blessing of peace return. Return back to you. He says, and if they don't receive you in that town, it's going to be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that town. Why so severe? Because the manifestation of the truth of what was happening was so great, so great in that place. Remember, we are to be gracious to people that bear the gospel for us, the people that teach us. I am grateful to my pastors who have taught me. I owe them a debt. As Paul said to Philemon, he said to Philemon when he was asking Philemon to do something for him, he was asking Philemon to, to relieve Onesimus of this debt of slavery. And he says, Philemon, take it out of my account. Let Onesimus go. Give him his freedom. And if there be a charge, take it out of my account, Paul says. And Paul said to him, but remember Philemon, you owe me your very life. In other words, Philemon was a rich guy, Onesimus was a slave, Paul wanted him to let Onesimus go, to to be free from slavery. Paul said, if there's a problem with this, if he owes you anything, take it out of my account. But remember, you owe me your very life. Meaning that you came to know the Lord through my ministry. You owe me your very life. One day, uh, my my pastor from Syracuse once wrote to me and and, uh, he asked me to do something. He rarely asked me to do something for him. And I right away said, Dr. Koshi, I owe you my very life. Whatever you want, you've got it. I owe these people my very life. What my pastors have put into my life, I owe them my very life. So when they would call me, you know, because I rarely will leave town because I'm not a professional preacher. So I rarely leave Houston to go and speak. Many people will invite me, but I've got other things to do. But if one of my former pastors asks me to come and speak in an event, 
I owe these people my very life. I owe them something. They have put something into my life. I have to do this. I'm obliged to do this. We owe people who speak into our lives something. Those who minister to us. Lest we just be freeloaders. And the body of Christ is full of freeloaders. Just minister to me. You know, I'm really important. Just feed my face. Minister to me. Make, make me feel good. And the scripture says, you owe something. You owe something back to those who give to you. And in that, you will be greatly blessed. You will be greatly blessed and it will expand your ministry. And as you become selfless, it will bless your marriage. It will bless your home. You will learn to be gracious. I mean, I have seen, I've seen such dualities here. I have seen fathers buy a pizza. And they go home and they eat the pizza themselves and the kids are looking there and they say, don't touch this, this is for me. I mean, the father says this to the children and they eat the pizza in front of their children. I mean, you talk about selfishness. My father would say, you guys eat and if there's anything left, I might eat it. That's what my father would have done. He's not even a believer. You learn to be selfless when you learn to give. And you learn to give and this is what he's calling us to do. But look at what he said these men. He says, be totally dependent upon me. It is a blessed life. And remember, prayer really changes things. If you don't believe it, just remember, Jesus really believed it. Jesus really believed it. And if it's between you being right and Jesus being right, guess who's right? Okay, Jesus is right. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, for the truth of your word. Thank you that you have called us to pray. You have called us to pray that there would be laborers sent out into the harvest. That there would be people that serve. We are to pray for that. And also be open for you to use us in that capacity. Father, I pray your blessing to be upon these young people. The blessing of God to be upon them. Father, your mercies rest upon them. Draw them into fellowship with you. Draw them into that place with you where they would see that you would take care of them. And Father, I pray that you'd also teach them how to be gracious, how to be given, how to give of what they have to those who have so blessed them in the body of Christ. Father, thank you for your mercies, for the grace of God. Draw these young people close to you. In the name of Jesus. Amen.